Pray with me, everyone. Uh, not just pray for me, but pray for yourselves that the Lord gives you ears to hear. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we have come to your word. We have listened, Father, to Elijah and Elisha. We have listened to the transference of power and authority from one prophet to another. We have listened to the letter of Paul to your church, and we have listened to Jesus revealing who he is in the Sea of Galilee. And we have listened to his word and the authority that is in him, the divinity that is in him, the power that is in him. And Father, I just pray now that our ears be open and that you would continue to speak to us, your church, in your word. Anoint me with your spirit that I may guide, Father, the reading of your word and the preaching of your word. Bless your people today, Father, in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be together again. Amen. Well, I'm going to continue to teach you from uh, the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. Uh, as I started uh, last week, uh, we looked at uh, the er earlier passages from the letter, and I invite you to please open your Bibles. If you brought your Bible with you, open your Bible to the fourth chapter of the letter of Paul to the believers in Ephesus. And if you didn't bring your Bible, there are Bibles in the pews in front of you. Otherwise, uh, use the insert in your bulletins to follow with me because I'm going to be questioning you today. And so you need to be ready. I have two or three questions for you uh, on the Word. So you're not going to be just passive listeners, but rather very keen readers of the Word together with me. So... Um, we are in the fourth chapter of the letter to the Ephesians. And um, I'm not going to repeat a lot of the introduction to the letter that I gave uh, last week, uh, but let it be sufficient that you can go back and hear the, uh, the sermon again in, in sound. Uh, we did not videotape it last Sunday, but, uh, but you can still hear the sermon. But I want to say a couple of things which are important for those that did not come last week or were not here. Uh, the letter of Paul to the Christians in Ephesus, or at least as we call the letter, the letter to the Ephesians, most likely was written from prison uh, in Rome. Uh, we know definitely that Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter, but he had a number of different imprisonments. Uh, it is very believed, uh, and there's substantial evidence that this letter was written when he was, uh, toward the end of his life, a prisoner in Rome. Uh, he writes this letter, and it has a lot of similarity with Colossians, and it probably has uh, something as well in Philemon, and there might have been other letters that he wrote from prison in Rome. But 
this is the letter when it was written. And, and we can also say, because of that imprisonment, that the letter may have been written between 60 and 62 A.D. Between 60 and 62 A.D., and we know that Paul was beheaded and Peter crucified probably around 64 A.D. So that's kind of the, uh, uh, some, some of the introduction. The other thing I can say to you so that you understand is that the letter to the Ephesians is what we would call a very general letter. It, it's a, it casts a very wide net. Um, a lot of the letters of Paul are specific to a specific church because of a specific situation or problem at that church. When he writes to the Colossians, the Colossians are dealing with some people who were believers at one time, were part of the church and have left, and now they're forming a separate church, kind of in competition with the Christian church and teaching all kinds of heretical things, even, if, even though they're using the name of Jesus and using some of the gospel that they have twisted it. And Paul is encouraging and correcting the Colossians. We know when he writes to the Corinthians, the Corinthians had all kinds of problems. And so Paul is trying to address the situation in Corinth, answering their questions, correcting their problems, etc. When he writes to the Romans, the specific intent of the writing to the Romans is that Paul has never been in Rome yet when he writes that letter. And he's kind of introducing himself and introducing his theology because he has every intention of visiting the Christians that lived in Rome, though he's never been there. So many of the letters when he writes to Timothy is for encouragement to young Timothy. When he writes to Titus, the same thing. But when he writes the letter to the Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians um, is very general. And, and, and uh, like I said last week, uh, it is believed that it is the crown of Pauline thought. The crown of Pauline thought because here in the letter he reveals the mystery of Christ, of the unity between Gentile and, and Jews, uh, destroying the wall that divides people of every religion and everything uh, in the person of Jesus Christ. And, um, and, and so we dealt with, with some of that, but the letter is a very general letter. Now, for those of you who uh, are not familiar with your maps, your Bible maps, uh, here is a, a map of, uh, of Asia Minor. Asia Minor, and more or less where Ephesus is, is on the southwest uh, side of, of Asia Minor. Asia Minor now is Turkey. Okay, that's the area of Turkey. And you see Colossae is very close to Ephesus, Antioch, Lystra, all of Galatia pretty much laid to the east. Uh, Laodicea is somewhere there as well. Uh, off of Ephesus is Patmos, where John spent uh, a lot of time and where he received uh, the Revelation or the Apocalyptic Book of Revelations. But that's more or less where Ephesus was. And Ephesus was a very, very, very important city, not only in Asia Minor, but it was a very important city in the ministry of, of uh, Paul. Paul spent a lot of time in Ephesus. Uh, at one time, he spent uh, two years in, in Ephesus, and from there he went to Corinth and then returned to Ephesus, and from Ephesus he went in other directions. So you may almost say that Ephesus kind of becomes the hub of, of 
Paul's ministry in, in all of this area, like Capernaum was the hub of Jesus' ministry in all of Galilee. So Ephesus becomes a very important uh, city. Now let's get into the passage for today. That was kind of a little bit of the introduction uh, to, to the letter. And the first thing I want you to do today uh, is look at one word, one word that becomes important and it's so easy for us to just read it and, and pass it over. And it's the word therefore. Therefore. He begins chapter 4, verse 1, by saying, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. I therefore. When you, whenever you see that word therefore, it means that whatever he has said in the past, prior to the, this moment, kind of find its fulfillment in what he's about to say. Okay? So... All that he has taught from chapter 1 all through chapter 3, he says, because of that, therefore, this is how you shall live. You get it? Because of all that I have taught you before, therefore, this is how you practice. This is how you live what I have been telling you before in the first three chapters. And it becomes a very, very important word because the reality of it or the teaching of it is this. We can learn a lot of theology, which is what Paul deals with from chapter 1 to chapter 3. He spends a lot of time talking about Jesus and who Jesus is and, and the mystery of Christ being revealed in Jesus and how outside of Jesus there is no salvation and all of these things. And he says, you can learn all the theology. You can learn all of this, but unless you practice it, it just becomes filed somewhere in your head file some you know you can learn all the theology you want and and I think that's a problem with the Christian church and it's a problem with us today and it's always been a problem we can learn all of the doctrines of God you can recite to me and even try and explain the Trinity to me you can teach me you can say everything and memorize portions unless you practice it out there your theology means nothing you with me? Yes. Theology without practice is just knowledge without life. It's knowing, knowing important things and living like you know nothing. Living like it did not matter, like it has no effect in the world. It does not change you, it does not alter you. Yes, you, you know. You applaud entertainment. Lord, Father, you, Father Jose, you've really given me some things to think about, but I'm going to go out there and I'm going to leave what I learned somewhere in the pew. I'm going to put it in the Bible. I'm going to leave it in the Bible. I'm going to leave it in a leaflet. I'm not going to go practice it. And what Paul is saying, all of the theology that I have spoken to you in the first three chapters, therefore, therefore, because of that, this is how you shall live. This is how you practice what you know about God. This is how you practice your position in God, your position in Christ, your new man in Christ. This is how you live it out where it matters. In the real world where Christ is necessary to become visible. Where Christ is necessary to live through you and through me. 
I therefore. And I don't want you to just miss when you find that word, therefore. It means everything I've said before, now go do it. Now live it in this way. And so he says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. So we know he was a prisoner. And what follows, and I want to show you a couple of things, but what follows are these very important words. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling. Beseech you to walk worthy of the calling. See, that's what I'm telling you. I, therefore, because of everything I've said to you about God and Christ before, now practice it. Walk this way. Do it. Practice it. Take it home with you. Let it be visible in your home, in your neighborhood, in your jobs. Let it be visible wherever you go. I, therefore, the prisoner, beseech you, walk in accordance with what I've just taught you. Just walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And then he describes that walk so that there's no ambivalence about it. This is how you shall walk, you who believe that God is your Father and Jesus Christ is your Lord and the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God in you. This is how you shall walk. With all lowliness, which is the word humility, Another translation says humility. You ought to be known by your walk as humble people. And remember what I've taught you before. Humility is not to think less of yourself. Humility is to think of yourself less. Humility is not to think less of yourself. Humility is to think of yourself less. Your walk should be marked by an attitude of humility, which is so contrary to the world. Why? Because Christ humbled himself. You should be humble. Humility, walk worthy of the calling with all lowliness or humility, with gentleness. Some translation says with patience for the next one. Patience, I love the word long-suffering. I understand patience, but patience sometimes, when we hear the word patience, we, see, we think of, of just standing back and letting things happen and just waiting. I love the, the way long-suffering is because it actually translates the two Greek words. And Tyndall, when he was translated, he found these two words. He didn't know how to translate them separately, so he put them together, and he created the word long-suffering. To suffer long. To endure suffering, that is part of the Christian walk. To put up with things that you normally would not put up with. In gentleness and in humility. With long suffering. With patience. Bearing with one another in love. You know what bearing, bearing with one another doesn't mean put up with one another. Sometimes we think that's what it means. To bear with one another is to, you know, like, uh, do I have to carry my cross? Her name is, 
and you might say your wife or your, your somebody, that's your cross. That's not your cross. Bearing with one another is coming alongside somebody who is weak, who's having problems, who's having issues, and to be their support, to bear with them, to support them, to support them. For example, in every construction, on every house, there are bearing posts that bear the weight of the whole house. You know that? There are certain pieces of a construction of a house, whether it's a standing pillar or a cross beam, if you remove that, that whole section of the house comes falling down because it's a bearing post. It's there to support the whole structure. Bear with one another. Bearing with one another in love. Become the support of one another. That's what it means to walk in accordance that is worthy to the calling that God has placed you before you. Bearing with one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Trying with all your might, endeavoring to maintain the peace with one another and with all people. Walk in this way. This is what should mark your Christian walk because of the whole theology. Because of everything we know about God, because of everything we've been taught about Jesus, because of everything we've been taught about the mystery of God being revealed, because of that, therefore, walk in accordance with the calling that God has for you, which means humility, gentleness, patience for, for um, um, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and, and, and all of that. Basically, it is Paul's way here of kind of restating the fruit of the Spirit, which he develops in, in Galatians. A lot of these terms are mentioned in the fruit of the Spirit that the Spirit produces in him who has the Spirit. To say, I have the fruit of the Spirit, or, or I want to see the fruit of the Spirit, I say to you, if these things are not visible in us, it's a sign that perhaps the Spirit is not working fully in you. Because this is the type of stuff that the Spirit will produce. That's the fruit of having the Spirit. The manifestation of having the Spirit. So some of these words appear there as well. And all of it is rooted in love. All of it is rooted in love. And then as we keep reading, I want to share with you that this walking in accordance with the calling that is before us that includes uh, lowliness and gentleness and all of that, it also includes unity. It also includes unity. And St. Paul reminds us that there is one body. I want you to notice how many times he uses that word one to to push forward the idea that we must have unity. There are not two bodies. There are not three bodies. We may have divided the church into denominations, but there is only one body, only one church, with only one head, and with only one destiny. There is one body, and there's only one spirit. Just as you were called in one hope. 
of your calling. There is only one Lord. There is only one faith. There is only one baptism. There is only one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. There is only one. When there's only one, you cannot be part of it and be out of unity. Because if you are side of the body, you are not in the body. Unity is part of the walk of someone who has Christ in them and the Spirit in them. Unity. Uni- I don't care if you prefer to worship the Anglican way, the Catholic way, the Baptist way, the non-denominational way. There is one church, and we must be in unity with all believers, and they must be in unity with you, even if your choice is to worship differently. There is one body under one Lord under one Father and one God that is everything in everyone. There is only one entrance through baptism. There is only one entrance through one faith. There is only one entrance to one sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus. And there needs to be unity. That's part of our walk, worthy of the calling we have received. Unity in the body of Christ. Unity in the church. And let me tell you, this unity can, doesn't have to mean different denominations. This unity sometimes is you in disunity with one another. Because it happens in churches too. In the same church, in the same building, in the same communion table, you may have this unity with one another. And that is not walking in accordance with the calling that you have received from Christ, who is one with one Father, one God, one baptism, one faith. Unity is part of our walk. And so whenever we are in disunity, we are in disobedience to the word of God and the revelation of God. And we need to immediately and as soon as possible, we need to enter back into unity with whoever it is that we have an issue with. And I can refer you to Matthew uh, how to deal with, uh, uh, with this unity. But if you don't know that your walk is to be toward unity, you have lost all the theology that Paul may have taught in the earlier chapters. Unity, together with gentleness and, and humility and forbearing and all of those, unity becomes important. So now let me take the next step. Within that unity of the body... By the way, this is one of the nicest creedal statements in Paul. I love it. This is Paul's, like to us, the Nicene Creed. This is one of Paul's creedal statements. Okay, one God, there is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. That's a kind of a creedal statement. Now let me take you the next step. Within the unity of the body... There are, of course, distinctions. Within the unity of the body, there are distinctions. Because it says that Jesus himself gave gifts. Out of his grace, he gave gifts. Now, let me explain a moment this to you. In Christ giving gifts here in Ephesians... He doesn't use 
the word charismata. The gifts that Jesus is giving or referring to, Paul referring to here, that says Jesus is giving, is not the word charismata as in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14. It's not the charismatic gifts, but they're not less the gifts of the Spirit. But the word that Paul uses here instead of charismata is dorea. Dorea. And this may not be the charismatic gifts, but these are gifts for ministry rather than gifts for the individual to do certain things. These are kind of roles that he has given, and he has pulled from the body some people and given them certain gifts. And so he gives us a few of these gifts or ministry distinctions within the unity of the body. And it says, and he himself gave some to be apostles. Now let me ask you this. Are all apostles? Are all apostles? To some, he gave the gift of apostleship. What is the gift of apostle? Probably the best description I can give you of the gift of apostle is is Paul himself or many of the other apostles where they did not stay stationary in one church. That would be the pastor teacher down at the bottom where they become the pastor teacher of a flock, a pastor teacher of a congregation. Someone with the gift of apostleship plants a church here and then leaves it and plants a church there and leaves it and plants a church there and then writes to the first church where there is a problem and then keeps planting. And some people have suggested that the gift of apostleship already ended with the apostolic age. But actually, Paul is writing when some of the apostles are already dead, and he is saying that to some in the church that were not part of the 12, the gift of apostleship is given. And the best, probably the closest that I can think of, is a bishop. A bishop might have this role in the church today where they are not in one particular congregation, but they take care of numerous congregations, and they visit them all, and they shepherd a large group of churches. And that might be the closest I may come to, to saying to you, this is the gift of apostleship. And some are pulled out of the body of Christ that is living in unity and is made distinguishable as an apostle within the body of Christ. And to others, he gave the gift of prophets. Are all prophets? Some are called to be prophets. To some, he, he made evangelists. Are all evangelists? No. You see, we all are supposed to be evangelists. Every single one is called to share the gospel. But there are certain people who are called out of the church to be the evangelists of that church. And then lastly, it says some are pastors and teachers. Are all pastors and teachers in the church? No. Some people are called out of the unity of the body, the body together, and some are called into the pastor-teacher role, who are the shepherds of the flock and the teachers of the church. You see, that's me. That's talking about me. I have the responsibility for this church. I am the pastor teacher of this church. 
and you have called me to do that. Now let's take the next step. For what reason are these gifts given? Well, it says, for the equipping of the saints. See, that's my role. My role is to equip you. Now, who are the saints? Who are the saints? Let the saints speak up. You see? My role in having been called out by God and having been sort of grabbed by the head and just brought out of the church and said, you're going to seminary and you're not going to be happy unless you serve me. Okay? And my role and my job is to be the equipper of the saints. To be the equipper of the saints. For what reason? It says I am to be the equipper of the saints for the saints to do the work of ministry. Not the pastor teacher. I am to be the equipper of the saints for the saints to do the work of the ministry. Who are the saints? What are you called to do? You can't say, well, we hired the pastor teacher. Now he gets to do all the ministry. That is not what Paul is talking about. The pastor teacher is the equipper and teacher of the saints so that all of us together do the work of ministry to do the edifying of the body of Christ until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man and woman, a perfect man, or a perfect human being, mature man and woman, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Leave it there, please. Don't move it. The saints are to be equipped, taught, supported, encouraged, so that we all do together the ministry of Christ, so that we all do together the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all in this body have unity of the faith. They don't believe one thing. You don't believe a different thing. You don't believe a different thing. But we have the unity of the one faith. There's not three faiths. There's one faith. We do the ministry for the unity of the faith, for the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God, so that we all believe the same thing, the same revelation that God has given us, so that we all come to unity in the knowledge of the Son of God, so that we all come, all of us, all of us need to come to maturity. Not some are mature, some are immature, some are were in the middle. The job of doing the ministry and the unity is so that we all come to maturity until we are all to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Until we measure up with Christ, which is almost an impossibility, so we have a whole lot of maturing to do. The pastor, teacher, pastor, shepherds, cares, loves, visits, teaches, encourages, all of these things, but the ministry of unity in the body and the edification of the body, it's left to the saints who are being equipped. That's you. 
not me. I mean, we together, but you need to do your part. Until we all come to the one faith, to the knowledge of the one Lord, to the knowledge of the one God, to that perfect, mature individual who represents Christ out in the world, and we grow up to the stature and the measurements of Christ our Lord. And then the next portion of the verse, that we should no longer be children, that we should no longer be childish when it comes to the faith, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head of the body, Christ. Who is the head of the body, Christ. Now, let me ask you a couple of quick questions. One is, how is your walk based on your theology? Based on all you know about God, based on all that God had taught us, how is your walk? Are you walking in humility? Are you walking in gentleness? Are you long-suffering, waiting on God long-suffering, longing for God, longing for the final manifestation of Christ, bearing with one another, supporting one another. How is your walk today? Are you walking selfishly or are you walking to the glory of God in such a way that he becomes evident out there? Here you get the theology, out there you get the practice. How is your walk? And if you're not walking in accordance to the calling that is in you, the calling of Christ in you, you need to reform that walk and return and submit yourself to the authority of Jesus Christ in your life. Measure your own walk so that you're not measured by others. How is your walk? Secondly, I want to ask you, what are your spiritual gifts? The charismatic gifts as well as the Dorea gifts, as well as the other gifts that are mentioned in Scripture. Do you know how God has gifted you because he's calling you out to do a ministry? He's calling you out to serve Christ and to serve his people. What is your gift? And if you know your gift, what are you waiting for me to invite you? I say no. If you know your gift, stand up and say, this is where I'm gifted. Father Jose, can I help in this area? I have the gift of, of helps. I have the gift of administration. I have the gift of teaching. I have the gift. What are your Dorea gifts? And don't wait to be invited, but step forward to say, as the Lord has gifted me, it's because that's the direction he wants me to go in my life. This is how I serve the body and how I unify the body and how I edify the body by stepping up and using my gifts to bring that edification. Do you know your gifts? And are you ready to step up and use them? Number three, I would like to ask you, 
how is your growth and your maturity going to the stature of Christ? How is your maturing? You think you're going to mature at home doing nothing? You think you're going to mature without reading scripture? You're going to mature by not coming to listen to the word of God preached? Do you think you're going to mature in what and for what? You need to be in the word. You need to submit yourself to teaching and study of the word. You need to sign up for classes. You need to listen to Christian radio station. You need to do whatever you need to do in order to grow and mature as a man and a woman of God so that you measure up to the stature of the fullness of Christ. Then you're going to represent him out there in a way that people will know and notice. How are you doing in your maturity? And when are you going to get up and say, I'm ready to be taught. I'm ready to be shepherded. I'm ready to become what Christ has called me to be. And last question I have, is there anybody here being tossed to and fro by theologies out there, by false teachers out there, by all kinds of things that are being said out there? Are you like a child that one day you, you, you're in Christ and another day you're out of Christ? Are you one day full of faith and another day questioning whether God is with you? Are you being tossed to and fro like a childless, like, like, like a child, acting childishly? Or are you being matured? Are you a man, a woman of God? Are you a man, a woman of God in unity in the body, in unity with Christ, one salvation. One salvation. One Savior. One faith. Paul is calling the church and he calls some to be some, some things, others, others. But it's all for the edification of his church and his body. All the theology you learn from me, from anybody, if you don't practice it, you're just having a, a mental filing compartment and, and you know the word, but you're not doing the word. Walk the walk in accordance to the calling that Christ has given you. Walk the walk. Amen. Amen.